Psalm 98, starting at verse 1, it, the title, now again, we haven't seen a title in a little bit, but the titles are part of the inspired word of God. And so the title here is, is just simply a psalm. I'll get into that in a little bit. But it says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We don't know once again when this psalm was penned. As you see, it's an orphan psalm as we do not know who the author is. Those who study such things believe and um, and you know you can believe what you want to believe as well as far as when it was written and, and what it's describing here. But a lot of scholars believe it describes Israel after they have been delivered from Babylonian captivity. Once again, what they're doing is they're examining that as they have been restored back to a nation, the goodness of God. But really, it's anybody post-trial post-trial when we've gone through the difficulties and the changes and the refinings that a, uh, a trial brings and, and we come to the realization that it was all by the hand of God, that God had allowed those difficult things to enter into our lives for his reasons, for his purposes, for our refining. And what we've been seeing here is, is these theocratic songs, theocratic songs, uh, psalms from Psalm 103, I'm sorry, Psalm 93 all the way through to Psalm 100. And again, a theocratic psalm is a psalm that examines God as he is seated upon the throne. And so last Thursday, we saw our God who sits as sovereign God, that he is all powerful over all that goes on. But we've seen so many dynamics of what it means for God to be seated upon the throne. We saw praising him and worshiping him. We saw him working in the lives of mankind. We even saw mankind's result of us dancing before the Lord. And again, all of these things have, uh, that, and how a God moves, our God moves within our lives and continues to do so that as we see the landscape of our society today, and again, it can so seem like everything is spiraling out of control where Jesus said things are going to get difficult, especially in the end times. But even building up to the end times, things are going to get difficult. So I don't know where we're at in all of that. No man does. But I do know that we are closer, and the closer we get, the more we're going to see birth pangs. But that's okay. As my wife likes to say, it's not spiraling out of control. Things are falling into place. How do we know they're falling into place? Because God is seated upon the throne. He's seated upon the throne of the world as he oversees the world. He's seated upon the throne over the church as he continues to move in the church. But just as important, he's seated upon the throne over my life and over your life and the events of our life as he oversees them. Reading through the Bible, and this is going to be the theme of tonight's verse, that our God is the God of the trial. Reading through the Bible, we see that trouble, trouble so commonly enters into our lives. We're dealing with certain trials and troubles all of the time. But we also learn here the confidence that we have with the knowledge of our God as king of the trial, again, as he sits in that place that he governs over all of the details. There may come a time when you fall off your pedestal, but never does God leave his throne. He is always there in that place of authority. And what I mean by that is he's governing, and he's not just governing, you know, we can so look at the big picture, and he is, but he's also governing in all of the little details. 
And so, you know, again, referring to Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good. Now, <clears throat> we can look at the big things and think, yeah, well, all things are working together for the good, but all things can't work together for the good unless God is in the little things, in, in the little details. And my point in all of that is nothing is happening apart from the knowledge of God. We don't know why he allows certain things to happen and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, God, who is seated upon the throne, God, who is all-knowing, is working out his plan for man's salvation and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we so look forward to that. And so there's going to be one, time, one day in all of our lives that oh, death is going to overtake us. But in our ultimate in death insurance, it's not life insurance, death insurance, we have three main benefits. We're going to leave all of this behind. Romans, yeah, I'm sorry, Revelation, you read the things going on in Revelation, there are an amplification of the difficulties that are going on pretty much even today. We leave it all behind. Secondly, we're going to be with Christ. Revelation chapter 5, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity, worshiping him. Can't even imagine what that must be like. And then thirdly, we'll be like Christ. And when I say be like Christ, obviously we're not going to be a God, but we are going to have a spiritual body. The aches and the pains and the sufferings and the heartbreak of this present day will seem like absolutely nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And again, we look forward to those things, but it's not just a looking forward to, it's a gathering of strength for today and hope today, trusting in God for our future, knowing that because of what Christ has done upon the cross, God has these things in store for us. See, in order to get the benefit of that today, you have to believe and you must believe with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 4 says, To everything there is a season, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Different authors, but I see this peppered throughout the Psalms. We have Psalms that seem like they fit every occasion of a person's life. They enter into all the things that go on in somebody's life, in a believer's life as he seeks to please God, as he wanders away from God, and so on and so forth. We've looked at Psalms and we've seen that there is a time to weep and a time to mourn as well. Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for water, brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go to the multitude. I went in with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praising with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. More than likely, the psalmist, Korah, of Psalm 42, it's more than likely a time when he was taken into Babylonian captivity and he's looking back and he's remembering, if you will, the good old days. Well, the psalmist in Psalm 98 is able now to look forward based upon what God is doing. So the idea here is a trial has worked its purpose. The absolute worst that could happen, well, it doesn't matter because again, God is in control over all of that. 
and God is seated upon the place that he governs the affairs of mankind. And it seems like the psalmist, as he has come out, and again, we'll use that background of Babylonian captivity and Israel being released, he realizes that's what was necessary. It was really hard. It was really hard. I mean, if you, think, if you could interview somebody who was maybe young and made it through all the way until the restoration of, uh, of Israel, or of Judah anyway, because there were some, and if you could talk to him, he could tell you how grand and glorious, but also how this great nation had gone askew. They started seeking other gods, contrary to the God of the Bible. And, and so it was necessary that God allowed this invader to enter in and to bring them into captivity. They thought it would never happen. How could it be? We're God's people. But then when they were being brought into captivity, they would also be left to wonder, what happened? What happened about God and his protection? What happened about the promises and the future promises of God? They had to be completely disheartened and, and totally defeated. But then they, they grew comfortable and, and, and they, they continued to thrive even in Babylonian captivity. Then came that time when God brought his people back and reestablished even the temple. And we'll look at that in just a, just a little bit. And that's what the psalmist is doing. That, that, as hopeless as it seemed, that's what was so necessary. And so he's worshiping God. It's, it's an aspect of God's kingship over all his creation. And so after this time of trouble, there's the fresh knowledge of God's goodness in his life. The basis of praise here is not that God is good so much, but that God is good to him. God is good to them, but specifically the psalmist makes it personal that God is good to me. So once again, we see at, at the title, a psalm. This is the only psalm that is so titled. Others will say a psalm of and fill in the blank, but this particular one is just simply titled a psalm. Why? Some have said because this is the psalm of psalms. This is the psalm of psalms, again, reckoning, recognizing God upon the throne, but I don't know how much I buy into that because I think the most important psalm in the psalms is the one re that relates to what you're going through at the time. And so, again, the Word of God, there's no word in here that is more important than any other word. It's all part of God's Word. It's breathed by Him. But this psalmist is just worshiping and glorifying and reveling in the goodness of God. Psalm 96 instructs us to sing a new song. This time, a little bit different. Well, Psalm 96 was previous, but why were we instructed to sing a new song, a fresh awareness of God's grace? It was because of what God was going to do. If you look at Psalm 96, it was based upon the Messiah coming. Not full understanding, but just understanding that God was going to do a good thing when they came to that res uh, uh, realization, they sang that new song, a fresh awareness of this good work that God's doing. Well, Psalm 98 is the other side of the coin. It's based upon what God has done. And so we worship God. We're saved. We're going to heaven. We worship God because, again, we can read about our future and all of that. But have you praised God for what he has done in your life and, and, and the maturation process that he brings you through? and that he, he created me, and, and the blessings that he has given me, even when I was unsaved and undeserving. And then there was the day of my salvation, and just the fresh awareness of how I was headed for destruction, but God has brought me into his family, and how he has been with me every step, and now that I'm saved, I'm a child of God, I recognize the hand of God, and God is still with me, and God is still doing a good thing. 
And so he encourages us once again in verse 1, a psalm, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his right hand would speak of his power. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. We're going to look at this psalm in three stanzas. The first one will be verses 1 through 3, God the Savior. That will take up the biggest share of our time tonight. Verses 4 through 6, God the King. And then verses 7 through 9, God the Judge. It's believed that Isaac Watts wrote the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, after reading this psalm. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Again, those are those Christmas carols that for so long in an unsafe state, we sang out of the top of our lungs and didn't have a clue. We took them for so granted, but a lot of them are based upon what we see in the scriptures. And as I, as I became born again, as God saved me and revisiting these things, it was a new song. It was a new song. It was as if some of these I was singing for the very first time, realizing the good work that God had done, how he had delivered me from the flesh. And so again, verses 1 through 3, we see a picture of God the Savior. This is a message that is to his people. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, in stating that Yahweh has done marvelous things, and the idea is, again, there's the word Lord, sing to the Lord. It's all in capital letters. It speaks of the tetragrammaton Yahweh, the God who exists. Remember, I am that I am. It's from Exodus chapter 3. Of all the gods that are out there, false gods, this is the true God who does exist. And so... The psalmist, the psalmist is excited about the God who exists, is his song. And so I believe that we are to plug in the marvelous things, sing to him a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Well, what are the marvelous things? Well, we're kind of looking at it at the backdrop of Babylonian captivity, but again, we don't know, and I think that's God's purpose, that we wouldn't know. Because if it was a specific biblical event, we may categorize it under a certain time in history we may attribute it to a certain people but what God is desiring for you to do is it's based upon what he has done but also his ability to do these things today even in our lives he wants us to know that he is the God who is still even today he's not the God who was He's not the God who used to do miracles. He's not the God who used to do marvelous things. He still does marvelous things, and he still does marvelous things for his people. Again, be a person. You, you want to sing a new song? Be a person who recognizes the blessings of God. Be a person that recognizes the right hand of Father, the power of God who is able to and does work in your life. Now, as I stated before, all things work together for the good. The big things, yeah, but recognize learn to recognize god and the little things also you know we, we're provided for god's provision through our job that a spouse 
a, a, a child, whatever it might be, that God has blessed us. And as God has blessed us, I have to recognize that. But when I look at the detail of that, when I examine that, it should cause my heart to sing out that God is mindful of me. You're not flying under God's radar because God knows who you are and God cares for who you are. And so it's not about looking at some past event. It's about understanding God who works in our lives today. Start at the day of your birth to your salvation and to your daily walk with the Lord. Now, if you would compare all three of these verses together, then you would first see that God has, as we stated, achieved a great victory. But then in verses 2 through 3, we see the results of that victory. We see how they are proclaimed, and they are proclaimed as salvation, that God had entered in and God had done this great thing. And as God has done this great thing, his people have been delivered from a situation in which they could not deliver themselves. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses and we were unable to save ourselves i mean just think of yourself in an unsaved state and and you know what i've got to be a better person i got to take this out of my life and it was just a futile work but then god entered in and god changed us he changed the totality of who we are he changed our mind and no longer do we think the same but now our minds have been cleansed and we seek after God according to his standard we have a proper knowledge and understanding of who God is the magnitude of his love as much as we're able to understand that and the grace that he has lavished upon us he's changed me so that our priorities no longer should be the same as what they were before because if you think about it what were your priorities based upon they were based upon the flesh and God has given me a new vision given us a new vision and again it's at the end of the road which is heaven which is eternity with him and this walk is a work that we continue to push forward on as we're headed towards that destination and so ultimately what's important well yeah he delivered Israel as that physical illustration but he has delivered us from sin He's achieved victory over our sin. Well, the single greatest problem of mankind was being a slave to sin. If our society, if you were able to eradicate sin, if you can completely eradicate sin out of our society, what would you have? You would have heaven. That's not going to happen, but one day we will be in heaven. What drives the unbeliever? Well, his master is sin. His motivator is his lust. His entertainment is excess. And his desire is the flesh. The natural man will subject himself to his master. He will worship his master and die by his master. Take any sin that you have ever committed. Were you better off for it? It it seems so attractive. It, it, It seems so desirous. But if you look at any sin that you have ever committed, once you did, were you the better off for it? I don't think a believer could answer that to the affirmative. You needed a champion to come and rescue you, to achieve this great victory. As hard as you would try, you could not achieve it yourself. And matter of fact, sin, sin we continue even today to, to struggle with it. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. Again, in Romans chapter 7, verse 21 into chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, we see the battle that he fought. 
I mean, some of these past heroes of ours, these people of the past, we can look at, you know, um, Spurgeon, and we can look at Martin Luther, and but they were all men. They were imperfect people. You can look at the Apostle Paul, and we can put Paul on his pedestal, but he ought not to be there, not above any other man, because he struggled as well. Romans chapter 7, the things that I want to do, I don't always find myself doing. And the things that I don't want to practice, I find myself practicing. Don't you do that? The things that you don't want to do, and you maybe even made the determination, you find yourself doing them again or thinking them again or whatever it might be. And the things you want to do, you make these vows before God. We just exited a season where man makes all kinds of vows or New Year's resolution. What was yours today or this year? Are you keeping up on that? The things I want to do, I don't always find myself practicing. And so he's going through this dilemma and he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's as if he's hit the point of despair. But then he enters into chapter 8 of Romans. Thanks be to God, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. King Darius wrote or spoke in Daniel chapter 6 verses 25 through 27 he got a taste of God, not so much personally, but he observed it in the faith of a man, Daniel. This is just after the lion den event. It says, Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Now, you can't legislate morality, and I, but I think what Darius was doing here is, this is an expression of his heart. This is his new song. And it wasn't so much that he was delivered, and maybe he was, because as Daniel was delivered from the lions, he understood the value of Daniel in his life. And I think that's part of what he was mourning as Daniel was condemned to the lion's den. But then he saw the hand of God moved in a powerful way. And I think in some of the verbiage here, you can see how God met this man in a personal way. Peace be multiplied to you. Why? Because he's received peace from the knowledge of who God is. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Well, you can't legislate that. But I think the reason he wrote it is, is because his understanding of God, as he saw the mighty hand of God save Daniel, I think he trembled and feared before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God because he never saw any of their gods move in a way that the God who is truly did. Steadfast forever, his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. You've seen the kingdoms of mankind destroyed. Babylon was determined to be indestructible, but Darius was part of those who went in and destroyed Babylon and took it over. And his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He's just understanding the magnitude of God is, who God is. I think this decree is written as an expression of his heart based upon an experience that he had with God, and he's worshiping God in it. How thorough is our deliverance from sin? We've been saved from sin's penalty, from its power, and from its presence. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Savior because he has saved us from death as well. 
1 Corinthians 15.54, death is swallowed up in victory. The funeral celebration of any believer is, is just truly an amazing thing to see, especially in the dark background of the death of an unbeliever. Just that surety that we've had. I mean, we've experienced a couple of them this year, just Donna's funeral and just the goodness of it. And just to be able to be part of that and see Gary, his, her brother, who didn't really understand our church and really even he had questioned some of our motives concerning his daughter. But I just see him overwhelmed by the love of God and just the difference that it has made in his life. It's death that tears apart the meaning of life apart from Christ, but in Christ, death gives us perfect understanding of God's purpose. Because of death, my life has meaning. I understand the difference that I am able to make in this life, in the lives of others, and the things that I do, and the ministry I perform, because again, one day, as all people will die, we're able to pull some from the fire, not keep them from death, but as they do die, their death will be a glorious passing. And because of death, the Lord's life here on earth has a greater meaning as well. Without death, his victory makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And then thirdly, Christ is our Savior because he saved us from Satan. Revelation 15, 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Matter of fact, we look back at the event that had occurred, what we believe it is, but also there's a future inspiration that is contained here as well. Mary, and Mary's magnificent in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. I really believe that Mary was inspired by Psalm 98 because a lot of the things that she said mirror what is being said here. First, here in the Psalm 98, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Well, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Here we are told, His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Mary said, He has shown great strength with his arm. Here we're told, The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has, uh, he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Mary said, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Here we're told he has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Mary said he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And so again, you see, Mary was a person of the word of God. And I think that went a long way, not because she was perfect, she wasn't, but a long way as God blessed her with the ministry that she had. And so the word of God, looking back and what God has done, understand the good things that God has done in your past is all for the purpose of you understanding that God will continue to do good things in your future. And so regardless of the trials and troubles of this day, regardless, again, what we see across the landscape of the world, of the difficulties in our individual lives, as God has kept me, God is going to maintain me, and one day, God is going to receive me. That should give us a confidence in continuing to do what we know to be biblically correct, but also a confidence even when it seems like things are spiraling out of control. Verses 4 and 6, we see God the King 
Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. This is what we've been studying in this group of psalms, the Thocratic Psalms, Psalm 93, and what we'll be looking at until 100, is just the outburst of praise before God. And we've looked at this in the past and just went, and I, I think I've mentioned it, and we were, seeing, we were talking about praises to the Lord, but the idea behind all of this, with all this instrumentation and all of these things, our praise is to be loud. I encouraged everybody a couple of Thursdays ago to sing it out. The last song, sing it out. You know, the worship team will come down and say, yeah, it was a blessing tonight, you know, whenever or on Sunday morning. People were really singing it out. And it's kind of neat to come up here and to hear people sing out praises to the Lord. And, and, and that's just the, the dynamic of, of, of how God has made praise that it would be loud because the loudness of it, it, it just encompasses our senses. And as it does, God just, the, the existence of God and the goodness of God washes over us. And I think we are to be an encouragement to one another, not just yelling, but just to truly sing out. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, there's a new song here, is that the temple has been restored or rebuilt. It says in verse 10, chapter 3, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, uh, David king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And so they're excited about what God has done, and it's as if voices aren't enough, and they bring instruments into the equation. And, and in reality, and we know that if I sing, if I worship God within my heart, he hears me. If I just speak the words of worship, my God, he hears me. But the idea is as if they want to shout into the heavens, shout into the throne of God. And really what that is, it's an expression of the knowledge that our worship is heard in the place that God dwells. And if you know that your worship is heard, and the place that God dwells, wouldn't you do so passionately? Most of us were not shy when we would sing songs of praise to the flesh, you know, just secular songs, whatever it might be. But when we come to an understanding of the magnitude of what God has done, ought we not to unleash just songs of praise to him, just to sing out, and again, with the mindset of entering in to his throne room? Lastly, we see the God of judge, the God who is their judge, verses 7 through 9. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the people with equity. Now, judgment's a good thing. It's part of the nature of God. So you can't say judgment is a bad thing. It's a bad thing to be judged. But judgment within itself is a good thing. I'm glad that God is just. 
Now, the reason I'm glad that God is just because what is right is going to transpire, and it's going to transpire every time when God, obviously, when God is involved in the equation. And so righteous judgment is a good thing. It's a good thing that he judged me righteously, not me in the flesh, but me in Christ, because I have certain certain assurances because of being in Christ that his judgment is going to be pure, his judgment is going to be right, and his judgment is going to be to my eternal favor. And unfortunately for some, it is a blessing, though, that God does judge the unbeliever because without judgment for the unbeliever, we don't know what grace is. We don't know what the goodness of God is. He's using the example of creation here and the judgment that is going to come one day. It's only after knowing God as Savior and then King that you can praise Him as judge, because if you don't know Him as Savior and King, you're fearful of Him. Here, nature is personified to show that the praise of God is to be for all He's done and all He has created. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Three things concerning creation that we'll, we'll close with. Three things in light of God's greatness. And the first thing, this is God's world. This is God's planet. He created it, he maintains it, and God uses creation for his glory. Two ways that mankind knows the existence of God is through the word of God and through the creation of God. And so it's God who is over all that we see. Well, those who believe that man can destroy it have a warped view of who God is. I don't see in here, and I do see the end of the world, but I don't see that it's man who brings about that end. It's God who brings about that end. So in light of the Gretas of the world and everybody else, how we're destroying the planet, yes, we can abuse the planet and all that, but it's God who is going to destroy it because it's God who created it and it's God who maintains it. Secondly, the world is not what God created it to be. Because of our sin, it has become subject to decay. It will be a tool for his judgment. We see that judgment comes from creation in the book of Revelation and something at time that leads to our detriment. We see how God gives us wake-up calls, the tsunamis that have happened through earthquakes, volcanoes, so on and so forth. Matthew 24, 21, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time no nor ever shall be and then thirdly the earth will be renewed and eventually will be replaced during the millennial days it's going to be renewed and refreshed but at some point it is going to be replaced revelation 21 1 now i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away also there were no more sea the idea is it has been defiled by our sin, and so God is making all things new. But as for now, Christ our Savior is born. Matter of fact, he's even been killed. He's been crucified, but brought back to life. 
and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Our Savior lives. God, God is good to his people. He's good to us every day, and sometimes the hard things are good things, and they can be things that test us and stretch us, but it's all for God's reasons and purposes. And above all, in this study today, remember, God is good, but even more than that, God is good to you. He's good to you. Open your hearts to the goodness of God, and he will refresh you in this evil age. In the midst, again, of the things that we see going on, seems like every aspect of our existence, marriage has been under attack. Our government seems like it's been going upside down, regardless of what side of the aisle that you're, you're on. Um, ecology, all of these things seem like, no, God's got his hand upon all of these things, and God continues to work his goodness out. Learn to see goodness from the strong hand of God, and you'll find a contentment in these days. Father, once again, we just thank you that you have given us your word. And Lord, your word is acceptable to every situation and circumstance of mankind. It's, it's what is sufficient for the events of our lives. And I just pray, Father, even as the psalmist wrote of who you are, just to sing this new song, the, the understanding, although hard things have happened, you've done marvelous things. And these things have been done by your power. And Lord, always make us to remember the day of our salvation, your righteousness and how you have revealed it to all that Lord you never forget your grace and your mercy and Lord you are forever faithful to your word and because of that Lord I even pray for this last song of the evening Lord that we would truly sing out your praises and so Father we just thank you that you have brought us here tonight we just pray Father that these things that we've talked about that you would make them personal to each person who hears this study and Father we would cling to these things and it be that Lord which would go before us and so Father we I lift up those who've come out tonight i pray that you would watch over them and keep them that you would bring them home safely and bless them but i pray father based upon all that you have done and will do again lord we would just sing this song with all of our hearts we pray in jesus name amen will you all stand please